This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, speaking to Oanda senior market analysts from around the world about the latest business and news stories. Let's speak to Craig Earlham in London. Good morning. Good morning. Asian shares down today, Craig, after Wall Street suffered its worst day since October. Are US markets starting to have doubts over whether the economy can be saved by Joe Biden's proposed uh, relief package? It's been suggested that the plan might be scaled back. Do you think that might be on the cards? It may be. I mean, they do have the slimmest of majorities as far as the Senate is concerned and getting Republicans on board with these very ambitious plans is going to be challenging. But I do I do also think there's an element of these markets are just uh, reacting to an incredible November and December. We have to remember that the end of last year was extremely strong uh, and it's because a lot of things fell into place well. Uh, we had the US fiscal stimulus deal, we have, so we avoided the cliff edge at the end of the year. We got a Brexit deal here in the UK in Brussels, they avoided um, issues with Hungary and Poland and managed to get their budget over the line. And then we had the smooth presidential transition eventually. And I think all of these kind of positive risk factors that could have gone badly gave a real boost to the markets in the final two months of the year. So maybe we're just seeing a little bit of a pullback. We're in this kind of status quo moment where we're kind of waiting for the next catalyst, the next positive uh, momentum rally. We're doing this at the same time as much of the world is going back into lockdown and looking here in the UK where we're not just back in lockdown but this idea that we could be exiting lockdown in the middle of February all of a sudden seems like a, a distant dream it's now the talk is March April even um, and I think many countries are going through the coming to the same realization so I think that's probably tempering um, sentiment as well at the start of this year and I think that was always likely I think we've spoken about it before this first quarter was always going to be a bigger challenge than the market seems to be giving it credit for and maybe that reality is just caught up with it a little bit combined with the new strains etc we can't really talk about this week uh, without really referencing what we saw in November and December and I think that's a really important factor I do agree that 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package is going to be hard to get over the line and we're likely to have to see compromise and it may even take a little bit longer but then we look at the Fed last night as well and we see how the markets reacted to the Fed and it, it seems to be there's a combination of factors really that's just taking some of the wind out the sails at the start of the year. Yeah, you mentioned the Fed leaving the benchmark interest rate unchanged near zero as they flagged a moderating US recovery and uh, reiterated that pledge to use all available tools to support the economy during the pandemic. I mean, they are doing possibly as much as they can or could they go further? I think they're doing as much as they need to, to be honest. And it's funny, right? We're in one of these situations. There's sometimes when these markets are in kind of bull market rally mode, it feels like the Fed can do no wrong. If the Fed comes out and says the economy's doing well, I say great, that's a buy signal. And if the Fed comes out and says the Fed the economy's not doing too well, so we may have to keep rates low, it's like great, low interest rates, and everything is a reason to be bullish. And it felt like the Fed was in a lose-lose scenario um, yesterday. And to be honest, I mean, it's kind of started earlier this month with 
policymakers talking about the prospects of tapering maybe even as early as this year. And that seems to have spooked investors just a little bit. We've seen those yields rising. And it feels like we're in a po- at a point now where the Fed can do no right. So when the Fed came out yesterday and said, well, actually, the, the outlook has become a little bit less positive because of the new restrictions and lockdowns, etc., um, which means that we're going to keep and we're going to we're committed to keeping interest rates low. Well, the, the latter part didn't really get investors as excited as they may have in the past. And instead, people are talking about, well, actually, it's the gloomier economic outlooks, which is uh, dragging on sentiment. Really, I think sentiment is is just a little softer right now. And uh, and. And when when that's the case, then people just latch on to the negativity, just as they do latch on to the positivity when things are looking good. And like when you when you add on top of this the fact that there's all these little bits of bubble chat and etc. Is Bitcoin a bubble? Is this kind of GameStop thing signs of a of a bubble? Um, uh, and I think maybe that just kind of plays on the psyche of investors and coming like say, add that to the timing of all of this. And I don't think there's really any signs that there's a massive thing to worry about right now. I just think what we're seeing is probably a bit of a healthy pullback in the markets at a time of year when um, when it, 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 it's not entirely surprising that this would be a point when we'd see that. I think they will recover and I think we shouldn't get too carried away with a bit of short-term negativity in these markets. Craig, US earnings continue and record iPhone sales in the run-up to Christmas enabled Apple to report its most profitable quarter Uh, in its history last night. Let's have a look at the figures. Highest ever quarterly revenue, up 21% to $111.4 billion in the final three months of 2020. And that was the sharp rise in uh, Chinese demand for its smartphone. So the rise and rise and rise, stratospheric rise of Apple continues. So we're in what uh, I think people are calling one of these kind of super cycles for Apple. And basically, they're releasing new iPhones every year, but every few years they just release an iPhone that's a significant upgrade. That's what we've had with this new iPhone. Not only is it got 5G, but it's a redesign as well. And this is seen as that big significant upgrade which gets buyers on board. And this is one of those phones which 12 months before, 18 months before, when people are thinking, is it time to upgrade yet? They're thinking, no, I'm going to wait for that 5G iPhone because 5G is the future and I want to have an iPhone uh, that I can use it on. I think that's had a massive impact uh, as far as these uh, these revenue figures are concerned. And when you add on top of that, Apple has been working very hard over the years now to try and push people into its ecosystem, to get people uh, integrated within the ecosystem and boost the services side of its business. And that, that, that strategy is continuing to work. So when you combine all of these factors and the fact that people are working from home more and what impact that has on uh, sales of things like computers and tablets, etc., uh, as we've seen for the last 12 months, then this is a, a very stellar environment for, for Apple. And as Tim Cook said, the appeal of the 5G device is only going to increase once the more 5G becomes available. In, in somewhere like China, I think he referenced, they do have widely available 5G. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we've seen a surge in demand there. Well, here we have a 5G phone, but we don't exactly have widespread access, access to 5G technology yet. So the more available that comes, the more demand we are likely to see. So th- this could be the start of a few very, very good quarters, I think, for Apple. Yeah, I should say that uh, rise in profits, 29% to $28.8 billion. A brief word with you about these vaccine wars between the EU and AstraZeneca. Now, they have apparently agreed to have talks about this. Almost sounds like a war, doesn't it, really? Uh, This bitter row over supply shortages. This is um, extraordinary, isn't it? And many have pointed out one of the positive reasons 
to leave the EU, although that's a rather distasteful and political comment that people have been making amid uh, such tragedy around the world. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've talked about the distribution of these vaccines as being a massive logistical headache um, for individual countries. How are we going to get all of these vaccines to where they're needed so that we can start to reopen the economy here in the UK? But it's a ma- massive logistical headache as far as these companies are concerned as well, producing the vaccines to the level where they try and meet uh, demand and try and fulfil um, the pledges which they've effectively made as part of these agreements. The chances are it was never going to. It wasn't necessarily going to be smooth sailing. That there was going to be hiccups along the along the way. And I feel like this is just an example of that. And I feel like there's probably going to be more examples of this over the coming months as these companies try their best to meet um, the demand that is obviously uh, to, that is obviously out there. And with regards to the Brexit issue, yeah, I mean. The, the, it's hard to it's hard to kind of argue at this point with with regards to something like that when you're looking at the rollout in the UK, which has been far faster, which has been ramped up to a far greater degree, where we had the approval earlier, then people are going to naturally turn to that and say, well, we're seeing one benefit um, of leaving the EU as far as the rollout of these vaccines is concerned. It's not been a great week for the government after the announcement of 100,000 UK deaths from COVID, Craig. Some have argued that because restrictions have been less severe than in other countries, the deaths have been higher. And despite that, economically, we're actually in a worse position than almost any other country. So Boris Johnson really looked crestfallen at his press conference a couple of days ago. Having said that, Britain is apparently likely to avoid a double-dip recession after the economy proved resilient during the November lockdown. That's according to the EY Item Club forecast, which I know people follow, which says growth will accelerate in the second half of the year as vaccines allow the economy to open up. We've got so many mixed reports at the moment. We've got an amazing vaccine rollout system, which we've already talked about in relation to the dispute between AstraZeneca and the EU. And we're way ahead of the likes of France, uh, Italy, Germany, and so on. But our economy is still flagging, of course. But we're not going to have a double-dip recession. Are they right? It's almost a technicality, right? I mean, it's uh, the, the whole double-dip thing is something I always I always struggle to really get on board with. I mean, remember when we, I think, was it a triple-dip recession or something that we almost had all those years ago? And after quarters and quarters of revisions, it finally got revised out because that minus 0.1 was revised to zero. So that triple-dip or double-dip never happened. Politically, uh, it's important, of course, isn't it? It really for that's the thing the chance of the exchequer and for and for the government it is it, it is it's just all political which is one maybe one of the reasons why i uh why why i i struggle to kind of get excited about talking about those type of things because it, it does just feel like a very political statement the reality is that there is still massive economic challenges. November wasn't as bad as it could have been because of the lighter touch restrictions. Well, those heavier touch restrictions are very much in place now and are going to remain in place for quite some time. So we may potentially avoid that double dip with technical recession. But I do think this first quarter is going to be uh, far worse than what had been previously predicted. So I think the overall impact is still going to be more negative. But as you say, to their credit, the, the vaccine rollout has been very 
promising. So while we are seeing more severe restrictions now, which is going to have a greater economic impact, the upside is that hopefully we'll be able to uh, escape this sooner than we may have otherwise been able to, as long as the rollout of these vaccines continues to progress uh, in this manner. And ultimately, that's what we're all hanging our hats on. That's what we're all banking on is we get this vaccine rollout down to a point where case rises are, are much lower, where fatalities are thankfully far lower, where hospitals are less overrun so that we can send our kids back to school, so that we can uh, return to the office, so that we can go to the shop or go out for dinner, um, whatever it is that we want to do, so we can return to something of life like normal. The, the way the rollout has been so far, I think that does give us cause for optimism. We've just got to kind of power through the next two or three months. Craig Earlham in London, thanks for joining us today. Thank you.